Thank you, Stan, for that beautiful message and song, This Love is Mine, This Amazing Love of God. Children's Church, we've got some wonderful people ready to take the kids downstairs, so if you'd head to the back of the sanctuary, they'll go downstairs with you and have a great time as we open the Bible here in the sanctuary. Let's, let's pray together as they go. Our Father, we're grateful for your love, which is truly amazing. And as we begin this new year, we want to focus, Lord, on your love and the love that you would have us not only to receive, but to live, to share with the world around us. So we pray you'll impress your truth upon us from the Word of God this morning. And Lord, help us to leave here having not only heard your Word, but responded to it committed ourselves to obey it and to put it into practice. So we pray that you'll lead us, show us the way, and help us, Lord, to follow you. Bless our children and those who are leading them as they plant the seed of the gospel and the message of your love into their hearts. We pray that in due time that you will bring forth the fruit of salvation in each of their lives, and we'll give you the praise for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, let's open the Bible this morning to 1 Corinthians 13. We have been going through 1 Corinthians verse by verse on Wednesday night. And I thought that uh, this chapter, chapter 13, it is so amazing, so important that we would talk about it together here on this Sunday morning. And what better time than to begin a new year? Because I believe that this chapter speaks about the real key to all of the other choices and decisions that you'll have to make, will have to make in 2020. There are many decisions that we're going to be faced with. We know what some of them will be, but a lot of them we have no idea yet. We don't know what's going to happen in the lives of our family, uh, where we work, in our country, in our community in our neighborhoods, but there are going to be things that will arise, and we have to respond to those things. And what will we do? What will we choose? Well, this chapter talks about an overarching choice that then will give way to the right choices in those individual circumstances, and that is to choose the more excellent way. And if we are putting that into practice, if we're committed to choosing the more excellent way, then when we're suddenly faced with these situations that pop up or arise, God will use that to help us then to make the right individual choices that are in line with the more excellent way. Let me begin in 1 Corinthians twelve thirty-one. 31. Uh, if you've studied 1 Corinthians, the whole, the whole letter Paul wrote to a church that was just torn apart, divided. They had all kinds of thorny problems and, and issues that were pulling at them. And uh, Paul, having dealt with a lot of those individual things, giving advice, giving direction, he then comes to this statement at the end of chapter 12, leading into chapter 13. A lot of people never look at this verse in chapter 12 that really uh, sets the stage for why he wrote what he did in chapter 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 31. 
Paul said, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And now chapter 13 describes that more excellent way. Look at chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The great love chapter used at many weddings, used on many occasions, but I fear often not understood. What is this love that is being spoken of? Is it a feeling? Is it, a, is it an emotion? Is it a passing thing? It's far more than that. And it is in the context of Paul saying, I show you a more excellent way. More excellent than what? Well, the things that that church had been putting their focus on. Who could do what gift? Being proud about having a particular spiritual gift as opposed to what somebody else had. Lifting up individual gifts as if they were trophies or badges of spirituality to show, look at me, look at me, look at how spiritual I am, look at how close to God I am. And Paul is saying after dealing with all of these thorny things and the divisions of the church, He's saying, you need to come to the more excellent way. And that's the way of love. And if we commit ourselves to this more excellent way, it will help us then in all of the, the things we will face, not only this year, but the rest of our lives. Until we step into heaven and see God face to face. 
He will help us if we choose the more excellent way. Really, the word love is one of the most overused words in the, in, in the English language, isn't it? We use the word love for everything. We use it from, uh, for everything from food. We use it for sports. We use it for relationships. But often we use it in ways that don't even really talk about what love really is. Well, when the Bible uses the word love, it, it, it has a very profound meaning. And it's very significant. And love is the more excellent way that Paul spoke of in verse 31. Paul says, I show you this more excellent way. You see, what we find in chapter 13 is not just a feeling or an emotion. In fact, from verse 4 on, we find Paul showing what love looks like. He shows us how love behaves. He is saying that if you have chosen this way of love, the love of God, then this is what will be produced in your life. And so this is not a lot about a lot of talk. Paul is not talking about what we say is love, but what we show in the way we live our lives. That love is an action. It's not something to, to just talk about detached from the realities of life or the way we treat people or the things that we choose to do or not do. It is all connected. And this more excellent way will show us what to do. The word love can be translated in three ways. Many of you have heard this, know this. In the Greek language, which is the language of the New Testament, it was originally written in the Greek, there were three words for love. One being, of course, eros, where we get our word erotic, a sexual kind of love. Actually, that word is never used in the New Testament. But that is uh, in, uh, in Greek vernacular. It was a common usage, but it spoke of a sexual kind of love. The second word, phileo, where we get the word Philadelphia, you know, the city of brotherly love, right? And it speaks of brotherly love. In Philadelphia, they throw snowballs at Santa Claus, but the name of the city is uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And that is, in, in many ways, the highest form of love that comes from the human heart, that we have love for family, we have love for our brother, we have love for other people, a friendship kind of love, a close relationship. But that's not the word used here. The word Paul uses for love here is the word agape or agapao, which is almost a uniquely Bible word. There are a few usages of it found outside of the New Testament, but, it, but it's, it's virtually a word that the writers of the New Testament coined. It, it is a word that speaks of a love beyond anything of this world. It is a love that comes directly from God. And when you express this kind of love you are expressing a supernatural kind of love. 
something beyond yourself. And this is what God calls us to. And it's only possible if you have a relationship with God. So for you to be able to choose the more excellent way in the way you live your life, you have to first have the love of God in your life. And, of course, that is through Jesus Christ. Jesus literally came to bring this love into our lives, to show us God's love, and then for us to be able to live out of that love and to share it, express it with other people. This is the word used in John 3.16, maybe the most famous verse in all the Bible, for God so loved the world. It's this same word coming from this this place that is not found on earth. It's not something that originates from the human heart. It originates in the heart of God. And then it is placed within us when Jesus comes to live within us. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But that life is possible because God has chosen to love you and love me. And in giving himself, we can be forgiven of our sin. We can have eternal life. And that eternal life is all about this love that we now possess and we share with the world. The more excellent way is God's love, not just love in general, but this love of God that can only be placed within you by God, and then he helps you to express it in the way that you live your life. Of the, of the usage of it in John three sixteen, one writer said, beginning with God, ending with life, and urging us to do the same brief enough to write on a napkin or memorize in a moment, yet solid enough to weather 2,000 years of storms and questions. If you know nothing of the Bible, start here, John 3.16. If you know everything in the Bible, return here. We all need the reminder. The heart of the human problem is the heart of the human. And God's treatment is prescribed in John 3.16. He loves... He gave, we believe, we live. And so it's the love of God that makes it possible for us to even have life worth living and life everlasting. And then once you receive that love into your life, and, 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 and it's available to everybody, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what the Bible says. God will forgive you based on the love of of God in Jesus Christ and what he has done when he died for us on the cross to pay for our sins. When he rose from the dead, he offers this eternal life. And then in the first three verses of chapter 13, we see that that love, God's love, infuses sacrifice with the power of God. Just as the love that God had for each one of us and that's why Jesus came. When Jesus went to the cross, the power of God destroyed the power of sin. 
and Satan and hell. And that same power of God, the love of God, will destroy that grip it has on your life when you ask him to forgive you. And as we live as Christians, this love of God infuses our actions with the power of God. So if you want to live on a different plane, a different level, if you don't want to just be like everybody else, you need this power of God that is through the love of God. In those first three verses, the love of God, God's love, Paul says, I can have the gift of prophecy. There were some in the Corinthian church who were pretty proud of themselves because they had the gift of prophecy, they thought. Now, I'm not sure Paul really thought they did, but they thought they did. And Paul is saying to them, you can have the gift of prophecy, foretell things, foretell things about God and his ways, but it all means nothing if you don't have the love of God. If it's not done with God's love, then it means nothing. It will have no power. The reason why the truth of God's word has such power is that it is totally infused with the love of God. Every word of God's word, the Bible, is also filled with his love. And it's that love that gives it power. It's from God's heart. And God's heart is a heart of love for you and for every person. And so the fact that God has given us his word, it is a living, it's a living word. It's alive. And that's why whenever you read it and open yourself to it, his love jumps off the page and it touches your heart. It applies it to your life because God is always trying to draw us to himself. He didn't just give us the Bible just as an exercise in religiosity for us to read. He gave us his word so that we can know him, so that we can be drawn into relationship with him. And it's all about his love that draws us to himself. And that's why you need it. That's why I need it. We need God's word so much because it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the very core of our being. And it's that love of God that is piercing into your heart every time you read it. And then Paul says, it doesn't matter if I have great knowledge of God's word and ways. It means nothing without love. You know, you can know a great deal about the Bible. But if that becomes an end in itself, if that leads to pride, if that leads to you feeling like you're better than everybody else, then that's not, that's not what God intends. The more we know about God and His Word, the more humble we should become because we realize just how small we are and how amazing God is. You see, God's love is so great that the more we understand it, the more we stand in awe of it. By the, the way, this, this was the Pharisees' problem in the times of Jesus. They had great head knowledge. 
They had memorized most of the Old Testament. They could recite it. They could quote it back to you. But it was empty of love. They had no love. They didn't love the people they were ministering to. And when Jesus came into their midst, they hated him because he was a threat to their way of life. And so, unless it's filled with love, this love of God, all of this is nothing, Paul is saying. And Paul had been a Pharisee, right? He knew whereof he spoke. But now, his life was filled with this love of God. And so he's saying to this church, you can have faith, so much faith that you could remove a mountain, but if there's no love, it's pointless because the love of God, see, will direct our faith. It will lead us to focus where God wants us to focus and care for people the way God wants people to be cared for. We can choose to give generously to others, but if we don't do it in love, then that gift becomes meaningless as far as we are concerned. Now, God can still take it and use it for good. But as far as us and what, what happens in our life, if there's no love there, it becomes a meaningless thing. God wants us to, to give and to live out of this love. One writer said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And that's where, beginning there in verse 4, he begins to describe what love looks like. So as you think about your own life, I want you to ask yourself, is this love of God being expressed through me? Does this describe me? Look what he says there, beginning in verse 4. Love suffers long. And is kind. Love suffers long. Some translations say love is patient. The quality of being patient. The word long suffering is a good description of patience, isn't it? Because sometimes being patient is, it feels like suffering. It can take a long time. And we are not usually too good at that. But God's love produces this. Think about how patient God has been with us can you imagine the perfect holy God and yet he hasn't just destroyed us that's what we would deserve he'd be perfectly justified in that but instead he loves us so much that he sent his own son that is long-suffering patience love is kind The word kind here, a friendly feeling of liking, of a good or benevolent nature. A kind and loving person. You know, kindness is something that is difficult to describe, but you know it when you see it, don't you? You know it when you experience it. We know what kindness is. We may not be very good at it, but we know what it is. Because somewhere along the way, there are people who have been kind to us. And God, ultimately, has been more kind than any person could ever be. He has shown us his love and his grace, even when we didn't deserve it. Love does not envy. Envy, a feeling of discontent and covetousness with regard to other people. Wanting what other people have. 
Love doesn't do that. Not God's love. And so if you find that to be something welling up in your life as you look at other people in your relationships, that isn't something God is producing. Love, God's love does not envy. It doesn't behave in that way. Love does not parade itself. Look out when you encounter somebody who tells you how much they love everybody. When they start telling you they love everybody, maybe not. Love, God's love doesn't parade itself. It isn't puffed up. That's been my experience anyway. The people who demonstrate the love of God the most are the people who just quietly go about doing it, not talking about it. It's there in their attitude, in their actions. This is what 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about. Now, I'm not saying don't talk about God's love, but put the focus on God and his love, not on self. Because when self becomes the center of attention, God's love is not at work. That's not what God is about. Jesus came and gave himself for us. Not because it was the easy road for him. He didn't lift himself up. We lift him up because he is worthy of that, but he didn't lift up himself. Verse 5, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. In other words, it's not selfish. It's not selfish. And this is often why we use this chapter, read it at weddings. I don't know how much people actually hear what you're saying when you read these at a wedding. But it is a great description of the power of God in a person's life. And if you have two people who marry one another, a man and a woman, they get married, they both have the love of God in their life, and they express God's love to one another in this way, you can't help but have a wonderful marriage. Because this is the love of God. It is a supernatural love. Not putting myself first, but always putting others first. And if you have both parties doing that, you can't help but have a wonderful situation. And that's really how we are supposed to live as Christians with everybody that we encounter. That we let God's love flow through us. Not putting ourselves first, but putting others first. Love is not provoked. The word literally is saying easily provoked. So, you, you know, you're not on a short fuse. You don't go off like a stick of dynamite every time something doesn't suit you. That's not God's love in, in charge. Thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. That sometimes is hard. It's not hard for us as Christians who know the truth, but sometimes it's hard for us to stand up for the truth, especially in a world that is now upside down. Because what we see in our culture more often than not now is people are rejoicing in iniquity, not in the truth. We're not called to join the crowd. We're called to stand up for the truth, not to rejoice in iniquity. No matter how popular the iniquity may be, the sin may be, we're called to stand up for the truth and rejoice in what is right. And then verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, 
endures all things. Love never fails. Paul is saying to these Christians, this is what your focus should be on. Letting the love of God control you and be expressed through you. Love is the key to everything else. Love never fails. He even then talks about other gifts, the gifts, some of the gifts that get, some of the gifts are going to fail. Some of the gifts are going to pass away. They're going to cease. But love is going to go on. It's going to go on forever because God's love never ends. And so when we receive that love, we have eternal life. And we are called then to express that love in the decisions that we make. Love endures for eternity. It's the greatest way to serve God as a Christian, to express this love of God. And so commit yourself to this more excellent way. Ask God every day, help me, Lord, to follow the more excellent way. That'd be a great prayer, a way to start every day. And then in the things that you, in, you face in life that day, God will help you to, to see how to apply that to choose the more excellent way. Now, be careful when you tell God you want to do that. He's going to give you lots of chances to choose the more excellent way. But when we do, people will experience the presence of God through the way that we show his love to them. They can be brought into relationship with him simply by the love that they experience in us. I close with a, a story that Charles Spurgeon used to tell. <clears throat> Spurgeon was a great preacher over in England at the end of the 1800s, early 1900s. He said, once while riding in the country, I saw on a farmer's barn a weather vane. And on the weather vane was an arrow. And inscribed on the arrow were these words, God is love. God is love. I turned in at the gate and asked the farmer, what do you mean by that? Do you think God's love is changeable? You know, it was on a weather vane, so as the wind blew, it was moving around. And so Spurgeon said, do you think God's love is changeable? That it veers about as that arrow turns in the wind? And the farmer said, oh, no. I mean that whichever way the wind blows, God is still love. No matter the circumstances, no matter what direction the wind may shift, God is still love. He doesn't change. Wouldn't it be great if in our lives the love that people experience from us, wouldn't it be great if that was true of us? You know, so many times the way we express God's love, it may be dependent on how we feel that day. It may be dependent on whether we're on top of a mountain. Oh, it's easy to express God's love when everything's going right in our eyes. But what about when things are hard? What about when we're disappointed, discouraged? Do we still express the love of God? God hasn't changed. His love hasn't changed. 
and we shouldn't change either, no matter what. In 2020, the wind is going to blow against us and for us. There are going to be great highs and low valleys. But one constant should be there in us, and that is we possess the love of God. We've experienced it. Now let's live it. Let's share it. No matter which way the wind blows, may it be said of our lives, God is love. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for the love you have given us far beyond anything we could hope or imagine. And yet, out of your mercy and grace, you have given us your amazing love. Lord, help us as Christians to embrace your love. And not just for ourselves, but then to live it out as 1 Corinthians 13 describes, Lord. In this new year, may we as individuals and as a church family, Lord, may we commit ourselves to the more excellent way. And may everyone we encounter, may they experience this amazing love. We pray, Lord, if there's someone here today who's never received your love into their life, may they see that that more excellent way is for them. Your love is for them. Jesus died for their sins. And may this be the moment they're willing to open their heart to you and receive your love and your forgiveness. As Christians, Lord, help us to commit ourselves, even in this moment, to choosing the more excellent way, and by your power and grace to apply it to every situation of life and to make choices that will bring honor to your name. We pray you'll lead us now in this time of invitation. May your will be done. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing our...